You can return your text uh, to text uh, in Acts chapter 11. It's going to be another topical again this week, and we're probably going to do that through the congregational meeting uh, February 8th, and then start into another book. Next week, Pastor Weiler is going to be uh, bringing us a message on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, I'm really excited to hear that and uh, to be encouraged through that. I know he'll do a great job, as he always does. And then we'll have a couple more Sundays. We'll do a couple more topicals. And then jump right back into a book and do similar to what we had done with Colossians in the fall. If you're here two weeks ago, you probably uh, heard the message about the use of the tongue. And how our use of words can be destructive. How they can damage ourselves and our relationships. Then we moved last week to our need to uh, assemble with the saints and how important it is to be able to use our giftedness to serve one another and to worship together. We can't grow in isolation. You know, we're, we don't live in a vacuum. Uh, we're, we're a community of believers. Well, today I want to re- return to the tongue, but it's going to be in a completely different uh, format. The tongue not only can be used to discourage and to, to harm, It can be used to encourage one another, as the kids showed us earlier with sports teams and cheering. It can be used to build other people up. And we're going to learn today about a man who did that in Scripture. We're going to return to the topic of the tongue to see that the influence of words cannot be overstated. That's what I'd like to share with you today how important your wonderful words are. Last week our text said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There it is. As we learned last week, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit doesn't expect us just to punch in and out of church. He wants us to use our giftedness to stimulate and to encourage one another. Perhaps no one was more skilled at that in the early church than Barnabas. Barnabas was a Jewish Levite. He was a native of the island of Cyprus, that is in the Mediterranean, to the west of Israel. He was an early disciple in the church in Jerusalem. He had a way about him. He had a way about him that helped others to be encouraged. It's interesting that his name wasn't Barnabas at all. In actuality, his his given name was Joseph. But because of his heart, because of his joy, the apostles had given him a nickname, another name. They called him Barnabas. That name means son of encouragement. So Barnabas loved to lift others up and to make them feel appreciated. Now you might say, well, that sounds really sweet, really nice. So what? The so what is about what the Lord can do through someone who makes it his ministry to encourage others. Let's look again to Acts chapter 11 to observe what happened in Antioch after Barnabas arrived. In verse 19 it says, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus, and to Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. 
But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So there were some Christians who had migrated to Antioch after the stoning of Stephen. If you remember, Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And Antioch is a, is a city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, that group that first arrived up there kind of had a narrow focus of evangelism. They were only going to share the word about Jesus with people that talked like them and looked at, like them and you know, went to the same movies they did. They only shared the news about Christ with the Jews. They didn't have a very broad approach to evangelism. Of course, that isn't real surprising, is it? When we look back to just one chapter previous to this, Peter had just led Cornelius, uh, the Roman centurion, to faith in Christ. This was really the first major convert of the Gentiles. Yeah, I know that we have uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and some others in there, but this was really a change. Peter was told to go to the Gentiles. Peter was told to preach the gospel to them, and they had seen a miraculous moving of the Holy Spirit in that. But since that hadn't happened previous to this establishment of this little local congregation in Antioch, it really isn't that surprising that they weren't yet preaching to the Greeks, but had focused on the Jews. But now we see that the Calvary rides into town. These were people from Cyprus and Cyrene. They started preaching it. It's likely that they had heard about Peter's testimony at the, in Jerusalem with the other apostles. They heard that the Gentiles had begun to receive the gospel, as Cornelius and his household did. And they came up to Antioch with a new focus. The text says that the hand of the Lord was with them. That means Jesus really liked what he saw going on. And the result was that a large number of Greeks believed and turned to serve the Lord Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. They had something really good going on in Antioch. Evangelism had created a stir. And verse 22 says, The news about them had reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. I'm being very sincere with you folks when I tell you that the news is out about Port St. Lucie Bible Church. People are hearing about Port St. Lucie Bible Church. You know that uh, one of our deacons, Nathan, has a restaurant down in Stewart, and a lot of pastors and other Christians frequent his restaurant. And of course, because he's been involved with this community for years, he hears a lot of feedback from places that a lot of us won't hear, and people are coming to him. Now, he isn't telling others what is going on at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. They're telling him what's going on at our church. They are seeing what is going on in the communities. They are receiving connection cards. They are receiving door visits. They are having uh, door hangers placed on their doors. They are seeing signs being held out in the communities. They are hearing about active evangelism going on in this church. And the news is out about it. 
we got a good thing started for St. Lucie Bible Church. It's been going on for a while. But like Antioch, there's work already started. But Peter and the apostles back in Jerusalem heard the buzz, so to speak, about Antioch, and they decided they better send someone to check out what's going on up there. Uh, what are those folks from Cyprus and Cyrene doing uh, to cause all this stir? And they say, well, you know, we got this guy, his name's Barnabas. He's quite an encourager, and actually, he's a native of Cyprus, so he's got something in common with these folks over there. And they say, we're going to buy him a, a bus ticket, first class, up to Antioch, and have him check in on what's going on. And here's what Barnabas saw. It says in verse 23, it says, Then when he, Barnabas, arrived, and he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them, all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, since this is a topical sermon today, I don't plan on parsing all the verbs and adjectives that describe Barnabas into great detail. I'm instead just going to go right directly to what he did when he arrived in Antioch. It's very obvious in the text. He saw what was going on. He'd witnessed the grace of the Lord. And then he decided that his most valuable contribution to that church in that city was to encourage them. He didn't tell them, hey, you know, you're doing pretty good, but you probably should send some of your guys down to Jerusalem Bible Seminary to get, you know, uh, an upgrade in your evangelism techniques. He didn't tell them, you know, if you were to have a a better sign out front, that uh, then you'd probably do better. He said, no, what I need to do is encourage them. And over time, all that other stuff is going to fall into place. Just encourage them, and more people are going to be brought to the Lord And there's going to be changes. There's going to be good changes. He rejoiced at what they were doing. He encouraged them to persevere and do more. What was the result? Good verse 24. It says, Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. In the original Greek language, this phrase, considerable numbers, literally says, not too shabby. He saw considerable numbers. They saw considerable numbers. Uh, There's almost a little sarcasm present in that statement. Considerable numbers means Barnabas' encouragement on the church made a very significant impact in Antioch. There's one other thing I'd like you to notice. Barnabas did not start that work in Antioch. He wasn't the first Christian in Antioch. He wasn't the primary teaching pastor in Antioch. He wasn't the chairman of the board. He wasn't the leader of the nursery. He wasn't any official role that we know of. He found that it was his ministry to encourage everyone who was already in those roles to do a better job. And it worked. When I was sitting in my office this week, I was trying to decide how I was going to transition this point just kind of sitting there and trying to focus. And I, I look at my bookcase and I started looking through the, the books that I need to reread. And I come across one that said uh, down the stem, Power in Praise, right in front of me. It's, it's written by a man named Merle Carruthers. It really was not very good. Uh, he's kind of off. I did learn a few things from reading that. 
Uh, but it isn't a book that I would really suggest to anyone. But nonetheless, that phrase stuck with me as I was thinking about Barnabas. Power in praise. There is power in praise. I'm not talking about mystical power. I want to make that point too before I go on. I'm not talking about there's some kind of mystical power that comes in when you praise someone. Ooh, they're... No, they're encouraged. Uh, there's an affirmation concerning how God uses an inv- individual that comes when there is praise along with it that helps them to do better. Not unlike a winning sports team. Not a- unlike a team that when they have fans that are excited about what they're doing, applaud. This can, this can in fact, be illustrated right here. There, there's encouragement through praise. So when, for instance, Connie Molina plays a, a wonderful instrumental, I can say, that was really good. And there's power in that praise. Now, we're not exalting Connie. She doesn't want to be exalted. We know as Christians that we don't exalt humans in a worshipful way, but acknowledging that God uses her giftedness to edify everyone. That's encouraging to her. Now imagine if no one ever applauded after we had an instrumentalist or a singer here. Because of our culture, the culture we live in, if everyone was just stone cold silent and stared straight ahead after something like that, uh, after we had someone edify us, would that encourage them the next time? Would it make them want to go home, practice harder, and come back again to edify the Lord? No, the praise is always going towards the Lord. We know that. It's always directed at Jesus Christ. But it helps when we tell someone, well done, well done. To not do so in this culture actually would be to discourage someone from serving with their giftedness. I'm certainly also not suggesting standing and hooting and hollering and and, uh, all kinds of exorbitant things to acknowledge people. Christians actually go to extremes to demonstrate that we don't overly acknowledge people. But when servants exhort an effort, it helps to encourage them. It helps to notice that they're working hard. There's a lot of people here that work very hard. And they need to be encouraged by one another. That's what Barnabas would do. Barnabas would come in and say, you're doing really good. Vanna, when you serve and when you help, you do really good. You're a huge benefit to this church, and we thank you for it. Gerald, you do a great job serving our church. Rhonda, the Quintanas, their family, serving in all capacities. Thank you for serving our church. These people don't necessarily want to be recognized. And I could go on and on and on. Nancy Kishfi helping with with the students program. All these wonderful ways that people are serving, and and you're all over the place. We could say a lot of great things about a lot of people. That's not necessary at this moment, though I appreciate all of you. We need to not fear, like Barnabas did not fear, encouraging one another and acknowledging how well they've done. We don't have to assume that offering an individual a bit of encouragement is sinful. It's not. It's not. 
Can we, the question has to be then, can we reconcile that with Scripture? Can that be reconciled with Scripture? Because if it can't, then, then you blow holes in it all day long. If it doesn't come from Scripture, then what's the point? God does approve of acknowledging and encouraging others. Not only through Barnabas, though we don't know specifically what he was doing there. Uh, let me give you a couple other examples. Does anyone remember Gideon? Gideon was what we'd call a scaredy cat. He was in Israel, and uh, when God came to him, he was threshing out grain in the wine press. Does anybody know what's wrong with that picture? That's the wrong place to be threshing out grain. You don't thresh out grain in the wine press. You thresh out grain on a hill. It's called the threshing floor. And as you would thresh out the grain on the hill, the wind would come and it would blow the chaff away. And then you would have the grain would remain because it's heavier than the chaff. And that is where you thresh it out is on a hill. But he wasn't doing that. Why wasn't Gideon doing that? Well, it's because the big bad Midianites were on, were on the prowl. And he didn't want them to come and beat him up and steal his lunch money. So Gideon was hiding. He was a scaredy cat. But as he was hiding, something happened. God saw untapped potential in Gideon. Judges chapter 6 says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Gideon's got to be thinking, who is this guy talking to? Does that sound like praise and encouragement to you? The Lord's with you, a valiant warrior. You bet it is. The angel announced that Gideon was valiant and told Gideon he was going to deliver Israel from their enemies. And Gideon said what? He said, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's household. Like many of us here, Gideon suffered from an inferiority complex. He couldn't vision himself being good enough to be used by God in a mighty way, but he was wrong. In him, God saw a valiant warrior. What Gideon needed was some encouragement. He needed someone to come on along and confirm with him that there was more than meets the eye. Well, you know the rest of the story. Uh, Gideon then requests a number of signs that he wants to be affirmed again. Uh, the angel reaffirms every time with a, uh, with a positive outcome. And then, ultimately, there's a great victory through Gideon's leadership. There's one thing that I find most amazing about this text. It has to do with the angel, not Gideon. He isn't just any angel. He's what's identified through the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. That is literally the angel of Yahweh. The angel of God. This angel is an Old Testament manifestation of the presence of God. Most theologians actually consider that this angel is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ himself. Not a lot different than what Jacob encountered when he wrestled with God. Uh, this could be what is known as a Christophany, we would call it. A visitation of Christ. So Jesus Christ himself, or God himself, was not afraid 
to reaffirm, to praise, and encourage a human being. This type of praise is not categorically worship. It isn't worshiping to just encourage one another. We don't have to fear encouraging someone else to do well or to acknowledge when they've done well. It's just simply encouraging an individual. Let's look at one other. Since we recently passed Christmas, uh, the Christmas story is fresh in our minds, of course, and after the Virgin Mary was told that she was going to give birth uh, to the Savior through the angel Gabriel, she was told she'd bear Jesus, and she went to visit her relative Elizabeth. You probably remember this from Luke chapter 1. So she's going to visit this relative, and it records, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? The Holy Spirit in that text says, it, the Holy Spirit prompted Elizabeth to praise and encourage Mary by crying out with a loud voice. They knew that Mary was going to come on some tough times. They knew it wouldn't be long down the road and Herod would be, the Holy Spirit knew, Herod would be chasing her and Joseph and the newborn baby down and they'd have to run for their lives. That encouragement could have made a huge impact on the virgin. I'm sure it did. So with this, how can we as Christians sometimes come to the conclusion that the way to be most spiritual is to resist any type of expression. To just remain silent, restrain our emotions. That doesn't seem to be what the Holy Spirit would indicate. Life is hard. Ministry's really hard. People need to be encouraged. Ministry can be fatiguing. And sometimes people who serve in roles can, can say, you know, I just don't know if anybody appreciates, I don't know if anyone cares, I don't know if I'm really here important enough to do anything. Should I continue or should I not? You and I need to be able to encourage one another. We need to be able to, be able to offer a person praise when they deserve it. We need to be able to help one another to drive on and to finish a race. When it's deserved, certainly there's power in praise. A lot of wonderful things can come when a Barnabas comes to town and carry, carries on a positive attitude. I guess it'd have to realize also that, of course, if if someone isn't doing a great job, that it would be insincere and probably not appropriate to artificially praise them, obviously. But that's not the usual case. Usually everyone is serving really well, serving really hard, giving of their time, giving of their money, giving of their talents. Today I just want to give you a little praise for it. So I really appreciate it. Encouragement completely changes a person's state of mind. 
It completely changes a church's state of mind. You and I need to be able to reaffirm that we can encourage one another as they are all, each one of you, an integral part of our church. Like in Antioch, there's been an incredible work started in Port St. Lucie Bible Church. By encouraging one another, I, I believe, just like Barnabas, we're going to see the glory of God bring people to Jesus Christ, bring people to salvation, and build his kingdom. It's one other good part about encouraging. A lot of you encouraged me over the last several months. It doesn't take any special talent. You don't have to be pretty. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be real talented. You don't have to be able to play an instrument. You don't have to have a lot of time on your hands. But as Barnabas showed us, it's very, very valuable to encourage one another. Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you so much for the encouragement that I've received from this church. It is, it's a joy. Lord, uh, I thank you for every one of these people here that, that wants to magnify you in their life. Lord, as, as week and week goes on and, and month by month and year by year, Lord, uh, we fight the good fight just as the Apostle Paul did. He was reaching for that prize. At times he was alone. At times he was desperate. At times others deserted him. Yet he reached for that prize. He knew the most important thing, Lord, uh, that he could do was to build your church. I pray, Lord, uh, in the months and years ahead that you encourage us to build your church, that you encourage us to uh, serve one another, that you encourage us, Lord God, to, uh, to finish well. Lord, it is a privilege to come here and, and be among so many talented people who love you so much and want to give their lives to serve you, Lord. Thank you for the blessing that is. Thank you for all you provided here in our church home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.